G'day guys, I'm Aaron Schultz and this is episode number 56 of the Outback Mind podcast. Appreciate you joining in, thank you very much for your support and uh, all the kinds of uh, votes that have been coming in for the uh, nomination that the Outback Mind podcast had for the Australian Men's Health Awards. Uh, it's been really uh, uh, encouraging to, to get so much um, feedback, which has been awesome. And the votes uh, finish on Sunday, I think, the 20th. So if you're still keen to cast a vote for the Outback Mind podcast for the Australian Men's Health Awards, I'd, I'd really love that. Uh, just jump on the... Uh, Australian Men's Health Forum website and just go to the Australian Men's Health Awards and you'll see the Outback Mine there and if you could uh, cast a vote that'd be great so I really appreciate it. Uh, Alrighty let's get going for tonight now a really special guest uh, former AFL player with West Coast, West Coast Eagles and, and my old or my club uh, the Western Bulldogs Josh Hill um, really admired this young fella um, for what he's been able to do as an AFL player played 173 games in total uh, but really more importantly, Josh has been uh, pretty strong about uh, mental health um, uh, inside and outside of football over the last few years and, and also about his culture, trying to sort of uh, raise, raise awareness about his culture and the, the beautiful things that go along with that uh, and the challenges also that were faced by Josh and so forth uh, while playing football um, as an Indigenous man, but um, you know, trying to sort of educate uh, one of my passions is trying to educate, um, I suppose, uh, regional society and regional communities more about, uh, you know, how beautiful Indigenous culture is and being able to embrace it more and more. Uh, and also what we can actually learn from, you know, First Nations First Nations people and what uh, they can bring to help uh, us uh, in our own lives to improve our mental wellbeing. So, yeah, I'm sure you're going to enjoy this conversation. I uh, just want to make special mention to our primary partners, Green Nutritionals, uh, Green Superfoods, Unbelievable for our physical and mental uh, well-being. I'd like you to check out their website if you can, greennutritionals.com.au. And also Pure Life uh, Sprouted Bakery. So they make uh, incredible sprouted breads, um, sweet and uh, just normal breads. And also they make beautiful pizza bases as well. So please check them out and support them, purelife.com.au. Alrighty, we'll get Josh on now and uh, get to our uh, conversation happening. I'm sure you're going to enjoy this one. Josh Hill, welcome to the Outback Mind podcast. No worries, mate. Thanks for having me. Yeah, appreciate you being here, mate. Um, now, a few nights ago, I had one of your, your best mates, uh, Jared Harbrow, on the phone, and uh, he told me uh, him and uh, or you, you and uh, Jared used to get up to a bit of mischief uh, back in the day. Is that right? <laughs> oh, he was always a trouble one. He didn't know how to do any chores around the house. But he was so, so different about me, so it was always uh, back and forth. But no, it was always great to have around the club and also to live with for a year. I think I could just tolerate him for 12 months. Uh, yeah, that was right. all I could handle. Then I moved out and went back to the family. So it was, so it was, just, uh, it was a great eye opener, and he's a great player and, and great role model now. And just the amount of things he's done for the AFL and still, you know, continuing to do for, for his culture and the community in, uh, in the Gold Coast. It's great to see what he's doing. So it was just the two of you living together there, mate, or...? Uh, no, so it was me, him, and uh, another young player in the same draft, actually, Malcolm Lynch, who's an oh, yeah. uh, NT boy. Yeah, yeah and yeah. he uh, he was the he was the oldest of the group, but he was he acted like the baby of the group, so he was yeah. always the the one we had to pick up after. Unreal, mate. Well, I suppose a lot of you would have just pretty much come out of home, so that would have been pretty interesting, I reckon. So, 
Yeah, it's always been a challenge with uh, transitioning and then trying to adjust to the big lifestyle. I mean, even for myself as well, I've moved from Perth to the big world in, uh, in Melbourne. It was a big big adjustment for me, but yeah, I can imagine for, for players like him as well, and also Jared coming from Cairns. So yeah, absolutely, mate. It's um, a big ask for, for players. Yeah. Oh, particularly, you know, 17, 18-year-old, that's for sure. So, uh, mate, yep. uh, really, um, really grateful to have you on here, and... Um, the, I'm sure everyone listening to this here would be really uh, you know, keen to hear about your story. I think you, you grew up in WA, then sort of headed north to, to Broome and sort of back and forth before you uh, finally cracked uh, the AFL. How did that all unfold for you? Uh, yeah, so I've, I've lived all over the country, really. I lived in Adelaide for a year when I was very young and my family had opportunities of work, so we moved up to Broome and lived there when I was 11 and 12 and then I was lucky enough to get a scholarship to go back down to Perth and went to Trinity, Trinity College, which is the PSA school, and got a uh, football and athletic scholarship. So uh, I was pretty lucky enough to get that opportunity. And, yeah, the footy was just one thing that I, I really enjoyed playing for the for the school, but also having the opportunity to play in the Waffle League with, uh, with the Colts division. Getting drafted at the age of 17 was, yeah, a big eye-opener, a bit scary as well, but it's, uh, it's about dreams coming true, and that's, that was my moment for it to happen for me. And, yeah, as I said about adjusting to the big... Big lifestyle in Melbourne. It was a, a big eye opener, and still to this day, it's it's a bit scary now being back here. <laughs> yeah, oh mate, it's it's really really interesting. It was really great to hear Jared talk about the level of self discipline that he had uh, to to finally get him there, and he would have been a bit edgy too uh, when he first got into it because he was a rookie, and, and you already had a uh, you know you were you were on on the senior list. He had a, like a two year deal, and. Um, I guess, you know, what I, what I really loved about talking to Jared, and it's probably similar to yourself, is your work ethic was really strong. Um, yep. And there's been a lot of Indigenous boys sort of come in and out of the system, probably because they lacked a bit of that self-discipline. And, um, you know, I guess you, you were quite lucky and blessed that you had that structure around to support you, so you knew what to expect when you got there. Yeah, we're, we're very uh, reliant on each other in a way. Like We'd always try and bounce off each other in terms of just support because you couldn't go home or you couldn't talk to friends or family back at you know back home for where you, where you come from because they would have no understanding of what you're going through, that, that day-to-day lifestyle of having the commitment of giving up whatever you're doing and making your football life your priority. That's how it basically was. Every day you'd, you'd wake up and you'd go straight to the club and no matter what they say, you have to be at a certain hour of the day you have to be at the training session, training facilities for a, for a meeting or a training session it was basically drop whatever you're doing and mm. get to the club so that was uh it was it was very lucky for me to have him to to bounce off and support me um away from the club and also living with as well he was a bit of a, a jokester like myself but it was just about um the support we would both provide for each other to you know really get each other through those tough times and as you that, that's what the, was amazing about him is that he was able to take on the challenge of being a rookie listed player and you know finding ways to succeed in, in getting into the list and you know doing what a lot of players would struggle to do and that's coming in such a, a high rate of, of a player of being on the rookie list to then get elevated into the, the senior list and then you know playing before any of us really so he was the first one out of all that whole original group in that draft to get a game yeah he said unbelievable he tells me you had a bit of an experience at Acker's place one night is that right <laughs> yeah, well, Aka, we were lucky enough to get uh, Aka get traded to the, the Dogs the same year and as our draft, and he was a very uh, humble man, and he'd always invite us around. So he loved the brothers, so he loved getting around all the original boys because he said he was always very close to Daryl White and Chrissy Johnson, and yeah. yeah, he'd always have us boys over at, at his house for lunch or, or even dinner, and he just yeah, he was so so good to to be there and 
be some sort of a mentor because he'd always talk about, you know, his times coming through the system at, at Brisbane, but having him there was just amazing to have his experience and, and what he could bring to the club was just amazing to be a part of and to even to share the field with him was, was amazing. Yeah, there was a fair bit of success, you know, following that too. Um, I was a, I'm a Bulldog supporter, but I'm not as strong as what I was, but that, that was a really good era for you guys, you know, mm. just, just watching... And Acker actually drew, uh, drew a lot of eyes to the club, um, yep. you know, to be able to actually, like, have someone of his uh, capability be involved, I thought was was tremendous, probably a risk for them, but also it actually just helped, um, uh, you know, educate people towards you know, re-engaging with football again because there was an interest there, a bit like when Ben Cousins went to Richmond, I suppose. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I really enjoyed that time, mate, and... Um, we'll talk more about you know the future and then winning a flag soon. And you know, footy's only a small part of this conversation, but we'll um, we'll definitely touch on it because it's been a big part of your life, I guess. Um, so, yeah, it was yeah, a big, so, uh, big, big go, part of it. Go ahead, mate. Keep going. No, it was just just about yeah the fact that even just having that opportunity. I mean, not many players can go through and say they could play with you know guys they idolised growing up. I mean. I still pinch myself knowing that I played against players that were my role models. So, you know, my second game was against Andrew McLeod and he was my idol as a kid. So yeah. it was always amazing to, to even look back and to, to just think that, that I was sharing the same field with these players that, you know, I idolised as a kid. So it's, yeah, it's it's scary, but also a dream come true in, in a way. So, so just on that, when you were playing in that particular game, did you find nerves came in or, or whatever? Or did you find that... Uh, you didn't feel like you actually deserved to be there, or what was it like? Uh, the first game, I didn't feel like I, I deserved to be there. It was, it was uh, so the way it happened was I was I was at High Point Shopping Centre with my family, and I got the call up from Rocket because um, I was the first emergency that night for the game. We played against West Coast, and uh, Rocket called me at lunchtime, and uh, so Rodney Ed called me, and, and he said, uh, "How are you feeling?" And then I was like, oh, "I'm all right." What is that? And he goes, "Well." you're actually coming in for Scotty West tonight and you're playing your first game against West Coast. <laughs> and, yeah, to hear it on the same day was... I had no mental preparation. I had to get myself wrapped around it. I had no support from the players. I didn't know who to talk to because that night, basically a few hours later, I was going to Marvel Stadium. And, uh, yeah, I was playing in my first AFL game debuting against West Coast, who back then were... Still now are a great side, but back then they had, you know, the likes of Cousins, Kerr, Judd... Mm. all in their midfield yeah. and uh, I remember very clearly running out on the ground the first moment I crossed that line Daniel Chick was waiting for me and he punched me straight in the ribs and he said I'm going to make your life a living hell are you serious? <laughs> and he, yeah and he basically did and I didn't really touch the footy very much and that was the only game I played for that year so. unbelievable so they must have known yeah. they must have known that you were playing Oh, they've, they've got ways. I mean, it's the way that the AFL is. Everyone's got their insights to, to clubs and how to prepare for oppositions. But I was only a kid, so I don't, don't think I was going to be much of a factor to worry about. I was mm. more worried about my own fears of just trying to overcome the fact of playing my first AFL game. So, Unbelievable. Yeah, so, that was, so that was the first game, and then you never got another one until the next year. Yeah, I didn't didn't play until the first round the next year. That was uh, in Brad Johnson's 300th against uh, the Crows. And that was when, yeah, we were in the huddles and... Before the first uh, bounce went up, I looked around and there he was, Andrew McLeod, playing on the same field as me. So it was like I couldn't believe it, and yeah, it was just crazy to think back then that you're you're running against your you're playing against your own idol, and yeah, we we ended up winning that game, and it was a great moment for Brad Johnson, you know, to play his 300th game and to get a win. 
Mm. On a, I think it was a nail biter too, just after yeah. the siren. Good experience for you, absolutely. Did you get to talk to Andrew McLeod that day? Uh, I didn't actually. I was too nervous. Yeah. I, didn't, I was a bit scared, but uh, that's that's the way the AFL is. You know, you got all these kids that are coming through the system, and a lot of them take it pretty pretty seriously. But for me, I was just trying to get my head wrapped around the fact that I'm sharing the field with a guy I grew up idolising as a kid, mm. and uh, yeah, that's what a lot of players these days need to realise is that when you cross that white line it's just about getting the job done you're all out there to, to play your role and yeah. that was my focus was to go out there and try and play the best footy I could and yeah, yeah. I think I I got a fair bit of the footy but the fact that we won for Brad for Jono was, was a big deal for me to get that four points in the first game Incredible and, and how long did it take you to stabilise until you worked out that you were you were, you were there like you were meant to be there and, and comfortable as a player? Uh, I think it was after the third round. Well, actually, the second round. I think we played Melbourne, and I got my nab. I got nominated for NAB Rising Star. So that was when the older players at the, t- at the club at the time just. I felt like I was. I earned their respect, and for me to feel that respect from them made me feel more welcomed and and like I was a part of that team to to provide you know that what I could as a player to come out and play my role and, and help them win. In any way possible, that was my job was to come out and play my role, and I think I gained more focus on more focus on my abilities to yeah my marking, and there are always ways to improve. But yeah, I was just, I just believed in myself to go and play the best footy I could because I had the respect of my teammates to go out and play, and that was after that second round. So. Incredible, mate! And obviously, a few years you had that at that club. What were the what were the sort of best moments for you over that particular journey? Uh, well. I think it's just the connections I had with the players. I mean, even to this day, I still still keep close with them. I mean, Dal Morris is a great friend. I could always catch up with him whenever. And even Acker, you know, I sent Acker a message, and he's always happy to have a chat because he's he's basically one of the brothers, and he, he loves it. And yeah, even Jono, you know, like he was always a smiling assassin, but he he was always one of those guys that you could turn to whenever you needed that support. And yeah, as, as a team, that, that whole team back in that um, that era was amazing to be a part of it. And just you, you pinch yourself these days thinking, you know, you look back and the, the team you were a part of was amazing. You look at the names of Ackermanis, Johnson, Gene Syracuse. I mean, Will Midson was a scary man, but mm-hmm. you'd, you'd love to share the field with him because you'd, you'd intimidate anyone he tackled. So mm-hmm. it was, uh, and yeah, you got players like Brian Lake, you know, we, me and Lake have a bit of history, on, you know, back and forth, but he, he did have the last laugh, and that's mm. the way footy is. <laughs> mm. when, when, when you say that, did you mean like you had a, a bit of a love-hate relationship? or No, no, we, we were always... Um, so me and him, we were Rockets, basically whipping boys, so Lakey would ah, always be right. the guy that... Yep. Yeah, yeah. So yep. you remember those games back in the day when he was always doing uh, those things that would... If Rocket had any hair left, he'd tear it out because yep. you know Lakey would be doing those things you wouldn't think players would do in the game. And mm. I, I picked the worst spot to sit in the meeting room because I sat right in front of Lakey, so I was always in Rocket's eye view, and I just copped all the sprays. So. Unbelievable! Um, he, he must have, yeah. he must have come good at some point in time, and then just become disciplined. Yeah, well, that's that's the way I look at back at it, and I think you know what I so much respect for Rocket because he coached everybody the same way. He didn't. Um, hold back on giving guys the feedback they deserved and yeah he was a very old school coach and I think that's what I needed as a young kid coming into the AFL system to help me grow a lot more maturely um, a lot faster than a lot of other players because he entrusted me with a lot of responsibilities to go out there and play in big games and that's what made me believe I was a better player than I could have been and that's what made me 
look back now and think, you know, I've got a lot of respect for Rocket for what the challenges he put on me and, and the trust he put in me as a player to go and play for him. Yeah, incredible, mate. I think he's a very good man, manager, and a good people person. That's what you need, mate. Um, you know, I look at leaders in, in business and I look at leaders in clubs and that, and ones that mm. lead from the heart, you know, are the ones that are successful, ones that lead from the head and the ego. And the fear-based type mentality, I believe, in business is is really destroying businesses and, uh, and organisations. But if you can be really nurturing with your people, then they respond. And that, that's a no-brainer as far as I'm concerned. But a lot of people don't actually see that anymore, you know? Yeah, not at all. I mean, a lot of players these days, are, they have their uh, their own little things going on with their social media, you know, Instagram, Snapchat, all these little things that, you know, uh, supporters love to see the, the players, what they get up to day-to-day lives. But back then it was just about, you know, the old Facebook and all that. But... You know, players back then were very old school. It was like you didn't have to worry about your phones. You just go for a coffee with your teammates, and mm. there was you'd actually have a chat with them. Whereas yeah. when I was at the West Coast, it was like you'd go for coffee, and the boys would be all scrolling through how many followers they got, or how many uh, you know matches or whatever they've got on anything. It's just yeah, it's the way social media is these days. It takes over the world, and yeah, yeah it's, it's it's still an eye opener. Really, you look at all these players and all the things they're doing. It's it's crazy, but it's great to see what these players are doing because they're, they're showing their talents away from the field and it proves to the supporters as well that they are humans you know they're normal people they're not on pedestal they're not above anybody else they go back to their homes and they live their day-to-day lifestyles mm. they have hobbies just like anybody else yeah, it's great to see it's really good to, to see players like uh, tom boyd and that that are you know brave enough to walk away from the game to look after their well-being uh, yep, you know, yep. he, he could stay struggling like a lot of people do in their jobs. They stay there for the money, but their heart's not really in it, you know. Um, mm. To be able to be brave enough to say, well, no, it's not for me and walk away, that's uh, that's tremendous, I think. Oh, it's, it's amazing that he took on that responsibility himself. I mean, he could have hit it away like a lot of players do because, you know, they're, they're portrayed as people that don't have any problems. I mean, people look at them and think, you know, you're playing the game you love, you're getting paid high amounts of money for it. So why would you have any problems? And that's the problem that a lot of supporters don't see and don't realise that players have mental health problems or they have problems going on in their home lives that they they have to sacrifice to give up. And, you know, you, you see it to these days. I mean, players are having to give up, you know, being in, in the hub with their teams because they want to go back and spend time with their families. Mm. I mean, how can anybody say anything bad about that? Yeah. It's, a, it's not a sacrifice or anything. It's the fact that, you know, they put their families as a priority. Football should always be second to family responsibilities, mm. especially your immediate family. Yeah, oh, absolutely, mate. I, 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 I agree. I look at um, when I lived in Tasmania, they have a state league down there. Now, the guys that play in the state league don't get paid a lot of money and they've got to travel you know, from one end of the state to the other, maybe up to four hours um, one way you know, and back to, to do that and plus train two or three nights a week. So that's a long, long time to spend away from your family. This is when relationships can mm. sort of be damaged. But... I'd imagine you guys playing at that level, you'd be spending a lot of time uh, on and off the field, you know, engaged with the club. Yeah, well, especially with West Coast. I mean, we used to travel every second week. So it was always playing at Subi, but then the next week after, we'd be travelling to Melbourne or Tassie or Queensland. So it was never, you know, two weeks in a row. Oh, depending on if we had the Derby at home, that'd be probably the only time we have a double up, you know, two weeks at, at home. But mm-hmm. other than that, yeah, we're always a travelling team. And I think we travelled more than any other, any other club throughout the history really how was life for you over there oh it was, it was great i mean you i had a tough year my last year with the dogs but you know i think 
the change up with moving back home, being back at the home state with the family and friends around. I mean, that was the biggest challenge for me was having to adjust leaving all my friends and family when I did get drafted to the dogs because I had to move all the way across the country to follow my dream, which I was doing. And then I was lucky enough to get traded back to West Coast and, yeah, to, to then be able to, you know, catch up with my old schoolmates and see my family was, was great to then have them be a part of, you know, being playing out playing at West Coast was was great for them to come and watch me play at home every every chance they got. So it was great to have that support from them to help me um, be a bit more confident when I played because knowing I got the family support off field mm. made me feel like a better player on field. Absolutely, and help your self confidence in many ways. Um, yep. did, did you have any success with West Coast? Was it any finals or anything or premierships at that time? I don't think was there. Uh, we, we played in the, we got all the way to 2015 grand final and we, we lost to Hawthorne. So yeah, that was what I said about Lakey in the last laugh because even to this day they get questions about, oh, uh, how did I feel when Brian Lake smothered me on the goal line? So yeah, yeah. it's, yeah, it's, it's a long story with, with Lakey, as I said, like, well, so what, what happened was the first game, uh, West Coast played Bulldogs. It was my first game for the West Coast. We played back at Marble Stadium. And uh, Brian Lake tried to take mark of the year on my head and gave away a free kick on the top of the goal square. So I kicked the goal and I wanted to give him a hug, but I was kind of caught between a bit of arrogance but a bit of cheekiness as well. So I think he, in his mind he was thinking, I'm going to have the last laugh here. So we had a grand final in 2015 and where he was at Hawks at the time and, yeah, I was running into an open goal and he smothered me on the goal line. So That's I think right, that was, I remember that. Absolutely, mate. Yeah. So that was the moment I think he got his last laugh for me. And, and yeah, it's something, something I'll always remember. But with Lakey, I know he's a great man and we're always going to have that history. And, yeah, he'll always be someone that I'll, I'm happy to have a beer with whenever. So, so, so I'm, I'm sure he'd be happy to have a beer. It doesn't matter <laughs> any time of the day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, it doesn't matter who it's with. Yeah. So, so what was it like for you to play in that game? Oh, it was amazing. I mean, you, you pinch yourself realising you've actually played in the AFL Grand Final because it was, I think it was, this day the hottest grand final in history but also it was the first time I think they got over 100,000 people so it was amazing for me to just run through that banner and see so many West Coast fans the supporters they had and even just the build up to it as well I mean the amount of support we got throughout that week I mean we we had that grand final parade through St Kilda and um, yeah it was just amazing to see the amount of West Coast fans that travelled across the country just to come and support us on that big day I mean we didn't get the didn't get the win but to this day, I won't ever forget it, to be what, able to be a part of it. What was the margin in the end? Did they win by a lot or...? Oh, I couldn't even tell you. As, yeah. soon, as, we, as soon as we got blown away in the third quarter, it was like we were fighting to try and get back something we're never going to get. But we, yeah. we, gave, we gave it everything we could, knowing it was the last day of the year. and yeah. we, we fought it out to the end and yeah, Hawthorne were just too, much, too strong in the end. Mm, incredible, mate. I actually thought about Brian Lake playing for Hawthorne until you said that, and, and, and <laughs> yeah. that's that's when he did really, um, you know, hit his straps. Uh, I guess so. Um, that was great to watch that era for them and just how uh, how they become so successful. I guess, and for guys like that that had come from other clubs that just reinvented themselves, I thought it was tremendous as well. Yeah, well, it's great to even this day. You know, you see so many players go to different clubs and to get that opportunity to go and. You know, find uh, find the strength in, in playing around because I think it's just about the players you play alongside. And I think him going to Hawthorne, he had the support of you know like Josh Gibson and Luke Hodge that helped him you know go another level with his with his football, and that's why he was so successful and, and having that confidence to play with players like that alongside him. Mm, and being able to listen and, and yeah make the changes that he did actually 
um, do and just the discipline that he actually uh, like was pretty evident to, to watch that that was that was great to see and when you see a, a fella that is a little bit loose and they do sort of wake up a bit and they can yeah. um, you know actually make the most of their potential it's it's really really great to see yep yeah sure is and I mean I mean we had the the guy with the most attitude everyone we had Barry Hall coming to West Bulldogs so oh that's true <laughs> that's a, yeah 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 so I was lucky enough to play with with Big Baz as well and he he was another great asset to come to the club and play alongside. I mean, how many players can say they've played alongside Barry Hall and Jason Ackermanis on the same team? So, mm. yeah, it was, it was great to actually be able to be in the same forward line with those guys. How did they get on those two, mate? No, they got along really well. I mean, uh, it was a bit of an ego boost between both of them, but it was, a, it was a challenge to see who was the main target going inside forward 50. But Acker knew that, you know, if you get Baz crushing the packs, Acker's going to be there lurking and he always kicked those goals from the boundary and yeah, no, him and, him and Baz, they gelled along really well and I think we we grew as a team but we, we didn't have much success with, with those two in the team getting to the grand final but we, we came close. Mm. Oh yeah, I remember that was, it was unbelievable to watch too mate and um, mm. yeah you would have been proud to see them win the flag a few years later but um, um, yeah. yeah, well, we lost to them in the first final, actually. So, yes, yeah. um, but no, it was great that they got that opportunity and to get the win. I mean, I was so happy for my old teammates. I mean, to see Liam Picken play the way he does, and even Dale, you know, Morris to get that opportunity to play on the group big stage and to get the win. Mm. Yeah, I'm just very happy for him. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Um, thanks for that that info on the footy stuff. With regards to your journey through football, what did you experience yourself? Um, as a, as far as observing guys that maybe had mental health challenges back then, before it was sort of more common to talk about it than it is now, and um, and also did you experience like problems with your own mental well-being as a player? Uh, yeah, there was always the challenges of trying to hide it away. Like you you have problems away from you know being away from your hometown. So me having to leave the, the lifestyle back in WA was always a challenge because. I had funerals I missed, I had birthday parties I missed, I always felt kind of excluded from the family, like I was just getting further and further away from them because having social media, you know, it was not hard to, to watch, but just not being able to be a part of, you know, all the family uh, big moments and all that, it was, was hard for me to sort of process. So as a young kid, you know, there were moments when I feared of wanting to go back home and, and be around my family, but you got to make those sacrifices as a kid and... As I said, when I did get the opportunity to go back to WA and play for West Coast, that was my opportunity then to obviously be around my family a lot more and try not to miss uh, all those big events and, and be around my family on, on big moments like birthdays and all that, even weddings I could be a part of. So it was, it was great to have that opportunity to get back there and do that. But other other factors, obviously, is, um, yeah, like when you lose loved ones, as I said, through, through deaths or all that, and you see all these young players now coming through the system that really try the best they can to hide all their mental health problems, but it's it's too late for some of them, you know. They need to try and find that support then and there when they have that issue come to, come to mind. Whereas I, I was lucky enough to, as I said, have Jared there to talk to, or when I went to West Coast, I had, you know, past players and even an Aboriginal liaison like Phil Narkwa to go and speak to, but mm. I was still, still too stubborn in my own way to go and talk to an actual psych about... Mm you know, how to process through mental health or anxiety, depression, because there was moments when, yeah, obviously the fear of not 
being a part of the list anymore because I was I think I was going through one year contracts and mm. it's it's the way players have to fight you know like you got to try and fight for as long as you can to be a part of the system because there's 43 players on the list only 22 23 get selected each week to to play mm. so if you're not a part of that week uh, you're not a part of that team every week your opportunity gets further and further away of getting another contract so mm. it's it's that uh the fear of that but also if you're not playing you get family members or friends messaging you or giving you a call to say, why aren't you playing? So mm. it's, the, it's the expectations that others put on you saying, you know, like, why aren't you back in the team? Or, you know, there's always these questions that that kind of get you in that mindset of thinking, I've got to try and get back in because I'm not just playing for myself. I'm trying to play for everybody else. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's all these challenges and, and factors that you'd have to take into consideration as a player because you're not just playing for yourself. You're, you're trying to represent your family as well and, yeah, it's, it's a tough one, but Bit of a job, as I said, like a, yeah, it's just about coming out of your shell and, and seeking the support in the right way that you need. And I think for the problem with a lot of Aboriginal people that we have that pride that we, we're in fear of shame. So mm-hmm. if I actually went and spoke to a, a psych, I'd be more con- more concerned about the fear of someone else finding out about my problems or my depression because, as I said before, you know, like AFL players... You're playing the game you love. You're getting paid a lot of money, a lot of good money for it. You're living the life. You're living the dream. So why would there be any problems? Mm. And having that um, platform as a role model, you have all these kids and you know younger generations of you know, family members coming to you for that support. So it's like you thought, well, you had to have the answers for them. Mm. You know what I mean? So it was just like if you couldn't provide the right answers for them, they would seek seek that advice from someone else and look at someone else as a role model so for me it was i was more in fear of, of shame but also being scared to not being labeled somebody's role model because i was put in that position and i didn't want to sort of lose that yeah. if that makes any sense oh, absolutely it does mate that that, attach, yeah. that attachment is uh, that that causes suffering at the end of the day because you're you're just so uncertain all the time and uh you know, on the outside you look uh, you look good, but on the inside you're struggling. It's interesting. I had mm. Craig Harper on here the other night, and he owned he owned like four or five gyms, and on the outside, you know, had plenty of money and hundred and something people working for him and all that. And at the inside, mm. he was just confused as hell, you know, and um, and really didn't like his life at all. So it's an interesting yep. one, mate. Just just while you were talking before about being an indigenous man and that in the system. There was a player um, that played for West Car, sorry, for Fremantle years ago, that sort of took his life. Shane, Shane Yarren. Yep. Um, yeah, and, and you know what would have been going on for a guy like that? Um, yeah. Oh, he's not the only one. I mean, a lot of a lot of players, like you talk about uh, players back in my generation. I mean, Chris Yarren was one of them as well. That nobody would have known what he was dealing with, you know, because he was probably in the same position where he didn't want anybody else knowing his business because he was in fear of judgment mm. and he didn't find the right support at the right time, which all came basically crashing down on him and it affected his career because he was regarded as such a, an amazing player and everybody just saw him as that you know great player for Carlton mm. that when all the truth came out about him, he was labelled a, you know all the bad stuff that you don't want to be called in the media mm. and that's the way... The media are, and they, they can really, you know, come down hard on you as, as a player, but you've got to try and find ways to get the right support and, you know, get back on track in the, in the right way. I mean, you see the way Willie Rioli at the moment now is he's had to go through all that um, 
problems and, and factors of going back home, but he's getting the right support and now he's got his opportunity to come back now and hopefully get back into the West Coast side. Mm, yeah, that's right. Brave, brave enough to do it and, and sort yourself out when he, when he needs to. And I never knew that about Chris Sharon, but was, it his, was Shane his brother? Was he his brother or cousin or...? Cousin, Cousin yep. yeah, yeah. So I had, had a young guy on the podcast a while back, um, Lockie Delahoney, that played for Sue, uh, still plays for Subiaco, and and he said yep. that that incident really affected them um, at the time. And you know, I haven't done much research on 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 Shane, but I'd imagine that there was probably a fair bit of trauma there as a young fella that sort of you know come into his adult life, and he may not have been able to to manage uh, all those things that were going on in the undercurrent with all the pressures of being an AFL player and, you know, being um, sort of delisted and all the things around that, you know, and all the expectations that others probably had on him. Oh, it hits you in a big way. I mean, when I when I got delisted, it was, you know, I mean, the mental, mental side wasn't there. I mean, I didn't feel a part of anything. Um, it was like everything just came crashing down on me. I mean, the depression kicks in and it, it becomes unbearable i mean there's there's times when you yeah you just want to give up on, on everything because you don't feel like there's any purpose in life because the thing you love doing for such a long time gets it just gets taken away from you but that's where you have to overcome it and try and be a bit more mentally strong and that was when i decided then to go and see a psych and, and speak to him about my fears of you know anxiety and depression and yeah like there's always the factor of suicide that you get very concerned about and mm. It's as I said, you know, when you feel like you have no purpose in life, it's because you've come from such a amazing lifestyle, being in the spotlight and getting everything handed to you. It's uh, it's then the challenge of going into the the real world and, and not being aware of what's going to hit you, and that's the the fact that a lot of players now need to take into consideration that if they're not getting their life in order while they're in the system, it all can really come crashing down on them very hard once they leave the system because they're not mentally prepared to go back into that lifestyle and then realising they're not in that spotlight anymore. So you just got to get on with your life. And it took me a while to, to figure that out, but I think I, I got the right support around me even to this day that it's just about now you just take the challenges on and you get on with your life and everybody has life, has those challenges, no matter whether you're an AFL player or uh, you know a janitor at the school. Everybody has challenges, no matter who you are. So it's just about getting on with your life and supporting each other along the way. Yeah, beautifully said, mate. Um, you know, there's lots of people that listen to this that haven't had the opportunity to play AFL, but, you know, they're in the workforce or they're, they're farming or they're, they're doing something. And there's always, um, there's always you know, pressure with, with, with all those sorts of things uh, in life, you know, whether you're uh, an athlete at a high level, which is in the, in the public spot, spotlight, or just a, a country lad in the town, which has got the expectations of the community on them, um, being able to sort of disconnect from that, I think, is really important. What would you, what would you um, suggest for some of the listeners to be able to, you know, be more conscious and aware to be able to make sure that they're looking after their own mental well-being if they're going through a bit of uh, a period of uncertainty. Oh, it's just about um, surrounding yourself with the right people. I mean, you, you can't, as I said before, you can't uh, seek that support from somebody if they can't understand what you're going through because they won't have the right answers for you. So if there's a group you need to go and talk to that might give you the right answers or even just try and guide you in the right direction, then go for it. But the biggest problem for a lot of people is is that fear of opening up because they're in fear of judgment. Mm. Like a lot of people don't want to be portrayed like they've got depression or anxiety. But mm. 
it's it's a concern that everybody goes through. So it's either you deal with it now or have to deal with the consequences later on down the track, which aren't pretty for anybody. I mean, the amount of people that I've I've heard about suicide rates, and especially through COVID, I mean, it's it's impossible to think that nobody's going to deal with it at some stage in their life because COVID's hit everybody very hard. And even to this day, I mean, a lot of people overseas, I mean, you think about everybody in Europe, they've got so many cases and they haven't had a normal lifestyle for the last few years because of COVID. Yeah. I mean, Australia's only just now getting back onto a track with all our normal lifestyle, but we've got to think about everybody, going, what they're going through over there. So, as I said, it's just about supporting, getting the right support around you and not being in fear of anything, but knowing what the main outcome is, and that's to get your mental health back on the right stage and getting that happiness back in your life. Yeah, well said. It's it's interesting. Like, you were... You're, you're under, how old are you? 33 or 4 now, I suppose. But, um, 32. Yeah, right. Okay, so still, yeah, pretty young. But the amount of change that I've seen over my life, um, you know, life was really simple back in the 70s and the 80s, and then it just become more complicated in the 90s and so forth. Uh, and mm. there's so much stimulation now um, with regards to, to all the things that go on in life, Josh. And, um, yep. You know, back when I was your age, not long before that, oh, it was probably 20 years or more ago now, but we used to have to ring up people on a pay phone with a, with a cord on it. And, uh, yeah. you know, life was a lot more simpler. We'd write letters to people, all those sorts of things. But now we've got, we've got you know, really great access to communication, but we are finding ourselves uh, quite miserable uh, in, in modern life. And... I really believe that we've got to do things on a daily basis which get us centred um, yep. so we can, you know, find a bit of peace and ease within ourselves which, which gets us back to that feeling of being on holidays or, you know, going fishing or something that does relax you. I just think it's really important for our nervous system to be able to, to do something every day, but preferably early in the morning before you start your day just to come back to home base again. Would you agree? Yep, definitely. I mean, you've got to find a hobby, something that's going to help clear your mind or make you feel like you have a purpose or just set yourself challenges at home. And that was what I was doing through COVID. I did the push-up challenge. I was going for walks, going for runs. I did anything I could to keep myself active and not uh, let the stress of being locked up at home be any problem. I mean, I was, I was around the, the loved ones and the family, but it's just about having that time for yourself as well that you need just to clear your head and have a bit of fresh air. I mean, you have to wear the mask, but it's, uh, it's the challenges you've got to go through and you've got to adjust to it. I mean, we all get on with our day-to-day lives, but as I said, we all have challenges that we have to overcome. And the biggest fear is, is obviously the fear of shame, but one thing we can never stop doing, and that's communicating. So the right support's out there. you just got a secret. That's yeah, it. yeah, absolutely. Well, well really, the, 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 the lowest levels of consciousness uh, are shame, you know, fear, and guilt. And if you're in that sort of consistently, then you will become depressed. But if you can go to a higher level of consciousness, like of having some gratitude and some kindness and compassion, then that takes your mindset out of that pretty quickly. So you know, being able to, to tap into those higher levels of consciousness on a daily basis and live more in that space rather than being in shame, um, I think is really, really important. Otherwise, you just find yourself in a, in a really... Um, um, you know, messed up place. It, it can be quite hard to take yourself uh, from, and that's what that takes people to drinking and to booze and uh, to, to drinking and drugs and those sorts of things, which aren't um, uh, you know great for our well-being. It gives us temporary happiness, but the, the long term is not being sorted out. But 
Yeah, mate. So I just think, you know, you would have learned some really cool things at school with regards to, you know, the the, the real important things in life and, and through your culture, you'd know that sharing and, um, you know, being kind and, and all those sorts of things are so important. And I guess if we can actually like realise that and tap into that more regularly, then our mental health will improve. No, oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. We've got to, got to be conscious of it. And, um, you know, I just think we... We we do uh, we do get sort of put into that fear mode pretty quickly by um, you know a lot of the things that are out of our control. But I guess you know what you did around that period with regards to taking a bit of uh, autonomy and going for a run and uh, doing things that you were in your own control rather than out of your control. That sort of probably helped your mental well being through that period of time. Yeah, exactly. I mean, everyone has that. You know, you can control the controllables, but the uncontrollables is something that is out of your, your reach or your hands. You've just got to, you know, do what you can do to keep your mind busy, really, and keep, keep yourself active because if you let it eat away at you, sitting still and, you know, just dwelling on everything that's happening around you, it's just going to eat away at you every day to day. And that's where depression really takes over and anxiety kicks in. Mm-hmm. And people need to just, as I said, you know, it doesn't hurt to communicate. You've got a phone, you can call somebody, you've got... And there's, there's no way that anybody can't link out with somebody to talk to. Mm. So there's always the right support. you just got to open up about it. Yeah, agree. What are you doing now to look after yourself, mate? Uh, I'm uh, having a run around and playing local league football and uh, coaching with, uh, with St. Albans Football Club in the WRFL League. And I'm also coaching with the uh, Western Jets, so the NAD League development program, yeah. and helping them out with with these young, young players coming through for the Future Generation programs. And... Yeah, doing some work in the media, commentating with uh, National Indigenous Radio Station alongside play- past players like Chris Johnson, Nathan Lover Murray, Andrew Cracker, all these great names. So yeah, it's it's good to be able to you know work alongside these players or these guys now, is and just you know bouncing off them as well with support in terms of how to you know focus on what the next chapter is in, in everybody's lives, and you know we're all helping each other get through it. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's good to hear and. Yeah, I guess, you know, look, Jared Harbour and I touched on this too. You're really lucky to have these Indigenous guys, uh, you know, in your own backyard that are so strong and um, being able to obviously share that culture. A lot of white men, you know, we really have, haven't got a lot of connection with, um, with, with, with our blood and uh, where we're from and all those sorts of things. And that's where a bit of uh, insecurity, uncertainty can, can come from, you know. But um, yeah, being able to find... Uh, consolidation in, in some friends or networks or listening to a podcast like this I guess can really help shift uh, shift your headspace and uh, give you some some traction and support where you can sort of take a bit of autonomy uh, with your with your mental well-being and you know you know Josh I just think we've got a really reactive approach in modern society I think we're more proactive and we do things that support our health rather than take it away then we're going to function physically and mentally better. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's programs out there for everybody, no matter what culture you are, you know, Aboriginal, non-Aboriginal. Um, there's all nationalities that have problems. So there's definitely programs for everybody that they can seek out and get the right support from. So all you got to do is just get off your ass and go and seek it out. Yeah, that's that's it. that's it, exactly. Yeah, just take a bit of, take a bit of pride in yourself and do a bit to, to move forward, mate. Really, uh, really grateful for you coming on and mindful of your time tonight, uh, Josh, getting back to your family. Tell me, how can people sort of, uh, you know, maybe get in touch with you or just observe what you're doing? Do you have, like, social media stuff going on or...? 
I've got Twitter. Um, yeah. uh, I've also got um, LinkedIn and all that. So I'm just trying to keep it all okay, but also, yeah, just focus on the important thing. That's time with the family, but also trying to get through this uh, pandemic and mm-hmm. hopefully COVID will be a thing of the past very soon for everybody. Yeah, just one day at a time, mate. That's that's all we can do, you know. If we get too too far ahead and the, the I wish this and I wish that, it takes us into anxiety and depression pretty quick but just having the awareness more in the moment i think will really help that process so very grateful for your time mate i'm i'm really um yeah really really happy that we've had this conversation and um i'm, I'm really pleased uh, to spend some time with you and uh, i'm sure there's going to be you know more indigenous guys come onto this um uh, as as the journey goes because i just really um believe that um, you know, educating uh, more people about you know yourselves as individuals, but also your culture is really important. Um, you know, for us as a society to move forward. So thank you very much. No worries, mate. It's been a pleasure. And yeah, as you said, hopefully we can get more past Aboriginal players, even players that are in the system now, to, to you know speak their minds and use their voice to voice what they're going through. Because even just telling people about your story can help somebody else along the way and get the right support. So. Thanks for having me on, and yeah, really appreciate it. There you go, guys. Really uh, interesting chat with uh, with Josh, and geez, um, such a, a really grounded young man. Um, beautiful to hear his his journey. We could have um, went a lot, a lot longer and a lot deeper with regards to that, but he's given us a pretty good snapshot um, on on uh, on life inside the AFL, but also the challenges that sort of go along with that, um, and also exiting the system and what that can actually do. So it's no different than coming out of a job or, or something where you've got you know a lot of your life in uh, being able to disconnect with that and being able to connect with something again that can give you some traction. I think is really important. So um, yeah, it's still sad to hear that um, the players are coming out of the system and they're sort of a bit lost and. Um, yeah, that's got to change. I reckon that's for sure. It doesn't matter whether you're a professional athlete or you're a you know you're an average guy that's um is in a job and he's made redundant, or you're a prisoner coming out of jail, or you've got uh, some issues in your life. Being able to find and, and get something um which is going to keep you connected, I think, is really important. So um lots to learn from that conversation. Thanks for you uh for listening. If you want to cut, touch base with me, uh, support outbackmind.com.au or the email uh sorry web, website outbackmind.com.au. Got some really really awesome guests coming up. Uh so uh appreciate you listening in. If you want to vote for the um podcast on the Australian Men's Health Forum website under the Australian Men's Health Awards, uh go for it. I'd really yeah, be grateful for that. So not really into awards or winning anything, but um it'd just be nice to um yeah just vote. Uh, yeah, get a get a few people uh, doing a vote, uh, seeing how it goes. So I appreciate it. Thank you. See, you. I'll talk to you um, next couple of days. Actually, I've got a great guy coming on, on Sunday. Cheers. See ya.